Support for Sponsor Talk and the following message come from Sponsor CX. If you're looking for an innovative, intuitive, and simple way to manage your sponsorships, look no further than this sponsorship management software. Sign up for a demo today and find out how easy it is to manage your sponsors. Learn more at www.sponsorcx.com. Sponsor Talk Podcast, where we interview some of the leading minds in the world of sponsorship marketing and discover the various ways and how brands interact with properties in sports, arts, film, music, you name it. I'm today's co-host, Jason Smith. You can follow me at Sponsorship J on Twitter or on LinkedIn to keep engaged with our Sponsor Talk community. Hopefully today you learn something new about the industry and challenges you to keep thinking differently. All right, I'd like to introduce uh, Mark Giovino, founder and CEO of Alliance Group. How you doing, Mark? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining Sponsor Talk today. Um, tell me a little bit ab- about where you came from and where you're from and and uh, what life was like growing up for you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm based out of Boston and grew up here. Um, I've had a few different opportunities through the course of my career uh, to move away and, and have committed some some respects but always stayed remained core to the roots and now with with a family with three young kids um i think this is home <laughs> for the long term yeah uh but uh yeah no big uh you know new england guy and boston guy and and i've uh, enjoyed you know the the path to this point that's great and um so in the early stages of your of your career you um where'd you go to the school by the way uh, to, to college. Yeah. College. Yep. Yeah. Babson college, a small school here in Boston, right outside and you, Boston. And you played, you played basketball there. Yeah, I played, uh, I played college basketball. I, I played very briefly overseas. I don't think my talent warranted, um, anything beyond that, <laughs> but had a quick stop and enjoyed traveling a bit over in Europe. Where'd you play overseas? Uh, Sweden. Sweden. Awesome. Yeah. How almost Sweden. Uh, I was there less than a year. Um, so enjoyed uh, the travel, you know, through Sweden, but, you know, Denmark, Copenhagen was right across the way from Malmo. So, yeah, I, I knew at that stage of my life, you know, NBA wasn't going to be calling or even, you know, Italy, the highest level of, of European basketball. But, you know, 22 years old, traveling and playing ball, um, you couldn't beat it. And, and for me, when I transitioned out, you know, my calling was, was coaching college hoops, you know, um, stayed in the sport and, and loved every minute of it and did that for the first seven years of my professional career. You know, I started at a couple of smaller division three schools and my last two years as a Holy Cross uh, based out of Worcester Central Mass. Uh, but, but for me, you know, it was really interesting because as I started to uncover how much time was was needed um i kind of projected out i always knew i wanted a family someday and i didn't feel like i could do both well yeah and so it was time for me to transition away and that was a really really hard decision for me and i wasn't sure like many folks you know what was next and and kind of followed a long winding interesting different journey (laughs) to to present day but i think we all go through life and don't necessarily know the paths we're going to go down or, or why we're there but um 
you know, very fortunate to end up where I am today. And I think it all led me to, to this place for sure. What, what, what kind of led you down that, that college basketball coaching path? Yeah, it, it was such a passion of mine growing up at a very, very young age. It was, you know, I, I think sports, but even more so for me, basketball felt like a metaphor for life. I mean, what you can learn at a young age, you may not necessarily appreciate that, but the competition, you know, the, the work, knowing that, you know, the wins and losses, it's less about winning and losing on game day, but the preparation, kind of the unseen hours um, is what leads to the winning and losing on, on the court, but in kind of now um, being older in, in life. And I think the teamwork, I mean, there's it, just so many parallels through sports and certainly in basketball. And I just loved every minute of it and, you know, had enough talent where I could progress, you know, through my career, um, not beyond, you know, some uh, short stint in Sweden, but um, yeah, I just, you know, just really, really enjoyed it. And it's been interesting because I've, you know, growing up at a young age, sports was such a core part of my DNA and continues to be. And I think I've taken different elements, you know, going from playing and coaching but then in and out of over the last, you know, 15, 20 years, you know, sports being on the sideline coaching, but then in media, you know, representing the Celtics and Red Sox radio networks and working with sponsors and then during my time at AS Roma. So it's, it's been a really interesting journey. I keep getting pulled back there. And I think my next pull back to sports is beyond being a fan is uh, coaching my little guys, my little yeah. ones, you know, my son, my daughter, and I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. But I mean, you, you mentioned that. I mean, you're you're looking at you're coaching basketball, you're traveling all over the place. You're like, hey, I wanna I wanna spend more time with with my family. And and so you you make that transition in, into the media, you know, side side of the world. So talk about that tr transition. Um, obviously the reason you made the transition was a family, a family choice. Um, but with you know, greater media and intercom and some of the, the those positions that you had, um, what, what was it like, you know, transitioning from coaching basketball into media sales? Yeah, it's a great question. It was something I, I didn't, ex I didn't realize how many parallels there are going from the coaching side to the professional world. And, you know, here I was, you know, as a full-time assistant at Holy Cross, but working, you know, 18, 20 hours a day. And again, loving every minute of it. So then transitioning out and representing and working with brands and and teams too, you know, much better work-life balance, you know, making yeah. much more money, you know, where I could support sure. myself, quite frankly, yeah. as opposed sure to Division sports three, as an assistant coach. Division three assistant basketball coaches weren't making a ton of money. Well, even division one assistant coaches yeah, at the Patriot true. League, you know, mid-major, yeah, mid-major program. So, um, no, it, it, what, what was most exciting for me and, and perhaps why I went down that path was the creativity yeah. you know, of building campaigns, of uncovering needs of sponsors. And I didn't, you know, I'd love to say I had the foresight to know that's why I wanted to go down the path. But, you know, coming out, you know, after I made a decision to leave coaching without knowing what was next, I looked at commercial real estate. I looked at a number of other industries. And, you know, I think, you know, media, in this case, radio and Celtics radio, Red Sox radio network, which was the end part of my, my media days and my radio days, um, was the creativity, you know, essentially creating something you know, not from nothing, but, but breathing life, kind of the theater of the mind, if you will, yeah, of, yeah. Of, of working with clients and, and trying to integrate them in a very, um, 
authentic way into the whether it's the broadcast but beyond that you know their experiential elements as well so it was a yeah it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed the time and i think it, i think it prepared me really well from a media perspective you know beyond you know that experience um and through where where, where we are today too you know it's interesting you mentioned creativity and in, in with the media sales when i think of media sales i think of of transactions it's like hey i want to buy a radio spot right and sponsorship is a lot more creative, which we'll get into your agency and talk about kind of the, the sponsorship, you know, route that way. How, how did you make media sales more, less transactional and more creative that way? Yeah, it's a great question because it really is the spots and the dots are, are, are transactional. But I think the, the ones who do it well, and I had a lot of great mentors and teachers and, um, you know, folks help helping to guide me through that path. Yeah. Um, where it starts much less, just like, you know, whether you're an agency or sponsorship, you know, given this being sponsor talk, when you work with a sponsor, it's less about what you have as a rights holder. It's less about you as an agency and turning the lens to say, hey, here's what I know about your business. Tell me more. You know, what are your goals? What's your vision? You know, so it really starts in, and especially in, in, in media. And I think in that, in those days, radio, how do you move it beyond transactional? And to do that, is to get a better understanding and a deep dive of, of what they're looking to accomplish, whether locally, regionally, or, or nationally in some cases. And, and once you understand that, you can come back with some different ideas. You know, I work with the U.S. Army. I work with, you know, Miller Lite and Coors Light and Bacardi and a few, you know, other brands, historical sports sponsors. But, but beyond the message, what's the story of the brand? And that was exciting to me then. And by bringing to life that story, Yes, you're putting, you know, strategically, you know, identifying the, the day parts and, and finding the connections across not just one or two stations, but maybe nationally or, or even locally, but then experiential. What are some fun, different things you can do? I remember a program we ran for the U.S. Army, um, actually for their um, medical uh, recruiting division, uh, believe it or not, where part of their challenge was educating principals, high school principals and, and educational decision makers on why that's the right path potentially for someone as they're guiding their high school students on their career paths. So beyond just creating a commercial, we created a partnership with the Red Sox Radio Network where we actually brought a lot of COIs or centers of influence to Fenway Park prior to a game to host. And here you're leveraging what is well known in sports as, as the hospitality asset as a part of an overall partnership so we worked with the red sox and that was a very successful campaign that's just one example i think you know from what you can do to to bring bring that type of a partnership to life yeah i think that's the uh that's the beauty of of what you were of what you were doing there because you took a very transactional side of the business and media buying radio and turning it more into a sponsorship feel Right, which is I feel like sponsorship is a lot more creative, a lot of a lot more collaborative. You're thinking of ways to really move the needle for someone, and it takes everything from from media to business development type of things to the big branding ideas to the actionable marketing and 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 I I kind of like what you did there, where it's like going into an industry like that's hey I want to sell you radio spots and kind of taking it to the next level. Well, and it's bringing together a lot of different stakeholders. Once, once you get that information, once you understand what the goals are, what, what I mean by that is it's, 
Yeah, it's 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 the Red Sox. It's the it's the radio network in our case, WEI here locally. It's the rock station here locally through Intercom. You know, at the end of the career, it's it's you know the the the, the partnership, sponsorship, marketing folks in that case with the U.S. Army or or other other brands, other clients, and it's bringing together this you know group think, if you will, and having the humility to say, hey, here's some ideas, and and without any one individual or stakeholder needing it to be their idea, collectively coming together, kind of the old, maybe outdated, but still relevant. I think the one plus one equals three sponsorship yeah. model. Yeah. And, and I think you get there when you go through the ideation and the create, you know, the creative side. And that's, I think that's where, where, where things stand out, you know, whether we're watching a creative television ad or it's an agency involved, or it's what is the story? Who's the audience? How do you improve their lives? How do you offer them something or do something unique and different? And that's really hard to do, but um, it takes a lot more work, but I think it leads to much better results in the end. And that's always a really important part when you talk about, well, how do you measure success? What does success look like? A balance of the KPIs and co-authoring, you know, how you measure, whether it's a sports sponsorship, music sponsorship, what we do now, whether it's radio, um, you know, ultimately it's defining very intentionally in the earliest stages, what does success look like within whatever the program you, you, you might be running. Yeah. And having sat on the brand side of the business, I actually really appreciate it. I appreciated it when I, when there was, you know, your, your account reps that would come to you and, and be creative after they listen to your needs and what you want to accomplish, they bring these unique opportunities and ideas rather than just a transactional type of, of, of relationship. It'd be, it's like, Hey, like this is going to actually take a lot of work on both of our ends, both the brand and the property for lack of a better term. Right. And, and it's, it, that's where, to your point, you said it, that's where, um, you really start to drive business for the, for the brand and the, a lot of those creative promotions and elements that you, that you create together. Yeah. And, it, and it's kind of the chicken of the egg, right? It's, it's coming to the table with some thought starters or ideas or yep. meeting makers, if you call it that, Yeah. but yep. not specifically pigeonholing yourself into, because, you know, the brand marketer on the other side of the sponsorship decision maker, that idea may not resonate based on their goals moving forward or, or their vision for growth. But just as one example, hey, here's who we are as a property. Here's who we are as a rights holder. Here's what we're thinking about. Here's what I know about your business. Here's a couple ideas. These may or may not be right, but I'd love to learn more given your audience or given your perspective, given historically what you've done. Here, here, here's how I think I can help your business. And I think too often times, regardless of the venue, the space, the rights holder or the agency, too often they make it about themselves. And I think what a true partnership should be. And some people hesitate or hedge and, you know, sponsorship, defining the word. And, you know, regardless of what people call it, it shouldn't be about, you know, any one property. I think we're, to get to the one plus one equals three, it's going to be a, a mutually beneficial partnership. And it's not the rights holder holding on to, you know, we're the property, it's our audience, we own the audience or the brand saying, hey, we're paying the dollar, so we need to own it. Yeah. I think that's where you get that contention or the yeah. push pull. And, and it's hard to do that. But I think that when you really find that symbiotic relationship is when things really start to spark and fly and, and you find success. And we're going to talk about some of the unique promotions that you've done with with uh, with some zoos and aquariums. But but before we get there, um, you had a couple other stops. Um, but before you created your, your agency, to tell a little bit kind of the transition out of media into 
with Fluent and then with Roma, how that all transpired coming out of the, the radio sales. Sure. I, I mean, I'll, I'll turn it into a linear story, but it's never that linear. I think we all have our own stories yeah. that we kind of yeah. piece together. Yeah. Um, so I, I was recruited to, um, at the time, it was called Campus Entertainment. It was a very small agency. I was an employee. I think it was three or four at the time. Um, but I was looking for something, you know, as I was transitioning out of radio, I was, you know, curious to see what else was there. And, and sports, there were a couple of sports opportunities, professional sports that, that didn't happen to be the right fit. Um, but what was really interesting to me was to potentially become more of a partner or get an equity stake in a small startup, if you will. Yeah. And what, what Campus Entertainment, which transitioned to Fluent, which is now Riddle and Bloom, which is now part of Team Wasserman, any agency folks out there listening or sports folks too can appreciate all the transition and rebranding. Uh, but the agency was was really unique, it, you know, and as many may be familiar with the IMG Learfield model, you know, yep. representing college athletics, what what Fluent was, was essentially everything else on a college campus outside of athletics. So it was helping connect brands to college students on college campuses and beyond athletics, as I said, you know, Greek life, college students, student ambassadors, student influencers, a lot, a, a lot of digital social, and they continue to do well today. And, you know, just as one example, we helped Microsoft launch Windows 8 on like 500 campuses through a face-to-face, -face, very authentic, you know, word of mouth network where it's a trial based, you know, you're, you're sitting down with your peer, talking to them, educating them about, you know, Windows 8, because historically they had a challenge based on prior versions, which didn't necessarily resonate. I mean, at the time it was Apple was, was yeah. the clear winner. So Microsoft at the time and Windows 8 or, or the Windows platform had been a challenger brand. And, and we had a, you know, a nice part to play and in, in what we think was turning that around. So, um, you know, and I spent four years there, um, tremendous growth. I, I think at the yeah, time it was about a thousand percent growth, right? Yeah. Microsoft was a big part of that. There were a lot of other wins in there. Yeah. Um, Sundrop Soda, there was Lenovo, um, you know, we had a number, a couple of Procter & Gamble brands. Um, it was interesting because a lot of brands, you mentioned college marketing at the time, it was starting to, you know, there's, there's this escalation or, or attention paid to college. We need a college program. And the lines have blurred even more since that time. I mean, my time there was 2010 to 2014. Um, and since then, the, the demarcation line on a college campus has been really blurred. It used to be athletics versus the rest of the campus, whether it was academics or Greek life or rec life or other things. And I think more and more businesses, I think uh, JMI, I think sports, I think IMG and Learfield have done it where they're starting to, they call it campus plus, if yeah, you will. Campus wide or they're getting campus wide. Yeah. Or the entire campus itself. Yeah. There's a, Exactly, which I think is a threat to my to the, yeah. athletic, the athletic side of it. Exactly, which I think is a threat in some small part to, to the to my prior agency. Although I think they fared well, and 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 as I and I wasn't looking to leave. I really enjoyed the work and the team, great people, tremendous growth. Um, but I was I was recruited away um, through um, a personal um, friend of mine who um, was a minority owner of the Boston Celtics. Had, had purchased AS Roma at a receivership and, and basically said, hey, you know, come come run, you know, global partnerships, global sponsorships. And um, so he connected me with, you know, the commercial director. And, um, you know, that's a, that was a hard thing to turn down. You know, you're talking about Rome. 
you're talking about the pinnacle of sports, um, you know, European soccer, football, as I learned to call it. And, you know, it was a much shorter time. I was there a couple of years, um, but, you know, very sophisticated as most sports, certainly professional sports here in the U.S. as well, but a very sophisticated, albeit very mature business model. Um, maybe not as sophisticated over in Europe per se, but as, as here in the U S but, um, yeah, a lot of really interesting things we were doing. I think, you know, the, the, the aspiration was to build a new stadium in Rome. There are a lot of challenges, um, that come with working through some of the European association, but more so even in, in, in Italy. Um, so unfortunately that didn't come to bear and, and, you know, Jim Pilata since sold the club. Uh, to the freaking group. Um, and that was after my time. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed the time. And, and for me, it was interesting because it was, you know, the travel became a little bit too much of a pull for me personally, you know, so it was, you know, it was originally one week to Rome turned into more of the commercial epicenters of Europe, London, a couple of days in London, a few more days, or a few days in Milan, a few more days in London. So, you know, being gone for two or three weeks at a time was, was more of a pull for me and my own family, for me personally. And I think that's been the really interesting North Star for me. You know, everything I've done from growing up as a kid through my sports and media and agency experience, but in that role with Roma was family first. So that's what I mean when I, I said earlier, I'll piece together what sounds like a li- really intentional linear approach, but I think we all kind of stumble through our different paths with our, yeah. our eyes wide open. and. You know, that was what the inspiration was for me, you know, once I realized, well, I'm, I'm away from home a little bit too much, you know, what's, what's next. It's kind of interesting. And... interesting you said it because when earlier in the podcast, you talk about how you got out of coaching, you wanted to, you know, spend a little bit more time with family. Right. And then as you got into your career and more and more, like you, you became more and more successful and having these, it's almost like it, it pulled you away again. And now you had to kind of like go, okay, which is why you started Alliance, right? Because it was like, okay, hey, I need to kind of recalibrate a little bit, it sounds like. That's exactly it. Life came back full circle, you know, and here back in, um, I was 28 years old. um, So this was back in 2004, I think it was. I hadn't had my own family yet. I wasn't married. I didn't have any children, but I knew someday I wanted that. I didn't want to be the dad that missed the kids' baseball games or birthday parties. And fast forward my different path, I was on the right path. And then I really, again, enjoyed the Roma days. But all of a sudden, it started to have that same feel to my coaching days. I said, wow, this is really interesting. And I think I may have been able to identify it earlier because I've been through it. But now that I had, you know, the beginnings of my family, my son was born in 2014. So, all right, you know, it's time for me to, to make a transition. So I, I really just asked a really simple question, Jason, at that time, which was, well, where do, where do brand marketers go or brand sponsors go to reach new families, young families? I'm a young dad. We're a young family. Where do they go? And part of what influenced that question was the success we had in those fluent days. You know, here we were a specialized college marketing agency. So tremendous success in that consumer vertical, if you will, reaching college students on college campuses. And my aha moment was really when I found out about the scale of zoos and aquariums. I admittedly didn't know a lot about zoos and aquariums, you know, other than when I was seven or eight years old, my parents took me to the zoo. Um, But when I learned that, you know, at the time, and now we're approaching almost 200 million visits per year 
to accredited U.S. zoos and aquariums. Now, to put that into context, that's more than all four major sports leagues combined. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I then spent another couple of months in discovery and trying to identify, well, who is, who, who is in this space? There must be a few players. And to my surprise, there was no one. There was no one that had centralized this market on the behalf of brand marketers. So to be clear, it, you know, the zoos and aquariums are not our clients. Those are, just happen to be the venues and rights holders we represent. But what our clients are the brand partners, it's Ferrero, it's Mondelez, it's General Mills, and we've had a, had a, had a lot of success, but, you know, it's, it's, it was surprising, the, 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 the scale, but beyond that, you know, no one had really centralized it. So at the core, what Alliance Group does is we've centralized a historically very fragmented space, and you're talking about, you know, just about 200 zoos and aquariums, accredited zoos and aquariums in, in the U.S., um, incredibly valuable consumer cohort, you know, families, parents with kids two to 12 years old. And it's interesting because we've been in conversations, you know, obviously over the last six plus years, but recently where more and more brands are trying to identify, well, where do we, you know, they've been given permission to do things differently. Any playbook you used to have, you know, through marketing has been thrown out given the last 12 to 18 months. But, well, if we want to think about parents and kids, do, should we spend more time and energy and resources focusing on the parents or the kids, to which I always reply, and for an obvious reason, why not both at the same time? Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's the, you know, the beauty of what we offer and, and some of our work. Well, so you, so you identified this need, and then you, you did the research and found out there's no one really in this space. And to be clear, you're not, you're not going in and, and purchasing the, the, the multimedia rights to these zoos and aquariums, right? You're, you're, you're bringing these brands to them and, and working out those relationships, but you have to have, you don't have necessarily exclusive rights, you know, to, to them, but how do you work? How, how did you develop these relationships with the zoos and the aquariums across the country? How did that for you yeah, to, to it's, build it's, that business and, and to do that? What, what did you do? Sure. Well, and, and we do have some exclusive relationships, oh, you, you know, okay. over the Perfect. last 12 months. Yeah. And it's, and it's a specific carve out in terms of national brand, Okay. marketing sponsorships and partners, brand marketers. So, um, you know, prior to that, we hadn't had any of that protection from a business, but how many, you know, how we many really built them. Aquariums do you have that are, that are more exclusive yeah, for you? So, so the total universe is 200. Our relationships are between 60 and 70 of, of okay. the top zoos and the exclusivity is less than that, but we're, you know, we're tracking to get, get to that point. And, sure. yeah. you know, for us, it's been a, it's been a slow you know, growth, you know, establishing the trust and credibility. Because for us, that's what's really important is, is not, and it's so interesting because an insight we, I, I brought with us to Alliance from Fluent, from the college days was, yeah. was you know, yeah. there's no place more sensitive to commercialization than higher end. Maybe not so on the athletic side, but you're talking about deans and presidents and academia not necessarily wanting to commercialize their campus. And I understand and respect why. So we were very, the, 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 the blueprint and the playbook we use at, at, during those fluent college days, we use very intentionally here because zoos and aquariums, I think being not for profit without the, the, the experience of what a pure sponsorship would be, would be not to you know, necessarily commercialize. So I think the trust and credibility was really, really important over time. And in the first couple of years, it was you know, one by one individually, you know, led by the brands. Hey, we want to go to 10, 20 markets. 
So we'd establish and run a heat map against which markets, well, there's BDI, CDI, prioritized markets. And then, you know, a lot of outreach and you know, sometimes cold outreach to some of the zoos. Yeah. And now six years later, we have a library of work to say, here's what this looks like. Here's what an integrated partnership looks like. Here's the mission of these brands that are holding not only the audience, you know, to the highest regards and your guest experience, but it's about those magic moments, those emotive moments when they're together, you know, very similar to what I mentioned a few minutes ago about, you know, the story arc of the brands through media or through, you know, radio all the way through to, to, to today in the zoo and aquarium space. It's, this, it's no different. It's really about what is the brand story to tell and how does that enhance the visitor experience, the parents with the kids, their experience at the zoo and aquarium, how does it make it better? And it's really hard to do that. And quite frankly, a lot of the relationships we've established with the zoos direct have, have taken some time to evolve, but we're, we're, you know, in the last 12 months and certainly going forward, we have a lot of very strong relationships and happy to represent both them and, and the brands for sure. That's awesome. And, and kind of how you outlined that approach to working with the brands, you know, that partner with that, that family, you know, the family demographic, parents, children at the same time. But w- what have you learned about the families? about how families interact with, with brands at zoos and aquariums, right? When they go into the zoo or the aquarium, you know, what have, what have you found is the, the best way for brands to be able to interact with that platform? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, one of the things we, we've done very intentionally is think about this in a similar way to other sponsorship models or venues or sports or music is mapping the entire consumer journey, that entire family journey with the zoo and aquarium. So not just on the day they go, but the pre, during, and post. So how do they find, how do they plan their visit? Are they going to the zoo's website? And what does that look like? Are they engaging in social media? You know, a lot of zoos have a very strong member base where if you're a member, you know, you pay one, you know, one annual membership fee and you can go as many times to the zoo as you want. So what does that membership component look like and how do they engage? And then obviously during their trip, but then post their trip, what's the communication after? So what we found to work really well is it's, and it's really interesting. And in a recent exercise, I think answers this question well. We, we often thought again, very, you know, linear. I hate to continue to use that word, but you know, it's audience, it's scale, it's the emotion. And, you know, over the last six months, we've, we've asked our clients, like, here's where, here's where we think we offer the most value, but why did you commit to working with Alliance yeah. and commit to connecting with parents and, and kids? And they said, well, those things are important, but it's more about the moments marketing. It's more about those special moments between the parents and kids where they're creating memories and which ultimately leads to, to stronger and love. But it's also yeah. that positive brand association, those happy moments. It's much like Disney. Disney does a nice job, certainly Disney parks, like the positivity of those happy moments and the value for the brands. And it's interesting because I knew that intuitively, we knew that intuitively, but we often weren't talking about that. So from a, from a brand's engagement perspective, and to answer your question about those experienced in the, those experiences for those families, it's about creating net new incremental opportunities for those families. And let me give you a quick example. Um, for Nutella, and, and we can dive into this in, in more detail in a minute, but you know, their goal is to be you know, central to 
the family experience, yeah. but also to kind of own, own the weekend breakfast. So we created what we call breakfast with the animals. And, and, and long story short, the reason that program worked really, really well is because we put Nutella in a position to play an active role, not a passive role, but an active role in bringing families together, creating memories, and more than anything else, those, those moments of pure childhood joy. And that's always been our, our North Star in some, some respects without knowing it. Like when, when I visit personally a lot of these zoos, you know, seeing that four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old, and that, that um, awe, that wonder, that joy when they're engaging with at a breakfast featuring, you know, pancakes with Nutella, but then a sea lion walks through right next to them where they can feed the sea lion or the owl and the jaw drop and the wonder on their face. And in, in those instances, many of those experiences have happened because a brand came in to either refresh, improve beyond sponsorship. So it's less transactional, insert logo here, but to enhance, maybe in some cases, an, an event that existed, but in a lot of cases, an event that didn't. And that's where the magic is, is, you know, there's so much chaos in, in the life. And I speak to this as a father now with, with a seven-year-old, five-year-old, and a, almost a one-year-old. Yeah. The yeah. chaos of our lives as a family unit, it just, you're yeah. pulled in so many different directions where- I'm there, I'm there the, with the, you. The, the really unique thing about the zoo experience is you're kind of putting away the chaos, everything to the side. You're putting your phones in your pocket. Maybe you're taking pictures from time to time, but you're spending three or four hours at these venues dialed into your family unit as an experience. And that's an incredibly valuable opportunity for brands to engage. Now, I, we often talk about being sacred ground. So brands very well better, and, and us as an agency representing them need to, to be very careful and very strategic about how we engage in those moments and how we add value so it's not detracting. And I think, you know, Everything, if you think about marketing from a grand scale, is about competing for people's attention. But this, this space is so interesting because the attention's already there. You're not competing for it. You're not trying to pull attention away from other places or yeah. watching a game or whatever your experience is. The, 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 the attention's already there. And what's really interesting is, you know, an important insight that, that we identified in the early days that the, the, the number one reason families, parents, moms, or dads make a decision to visit the zoo or aquarium, it's actually not to go look in, and watch the animals. It's not necessarily to support the conservation issues, although those, those things are very, very important. By a factor of almost three to one, it's to spend uninterrupted time together with family. And in those moments, your family is the center of the experience. So you're not watching someone else on the field of play. In the case of music, you're not watching someone else on the center stage of life. Your family is the centerpiece. And because it's such an uncluttered environment, you know, the, the brand love. Brand, and, again, how can you right. take that brand and put it into the center of the family in that experience? Yeah. I, Without question. Without I, question. I, I love that. I love that. Working with these zoos and, and aquariums on these really interactive promotions like the breakfast with the animals, how do you work the activation side of that with these, with these zoos and aquariums kind of make sure that those going, I'm sure you're not traveling all over the country, set, do these yourselves. You got to have the, the buy-in from the zoo. What, what, how do you work with the zoos that way? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. It's, it's very collaborative. Um, perhaps one of our biggest sources of pride very recently is, um, you know, some of our clients, 
sharing. You know, Adweek recently did a feature on us and, you know, they went on record saying, hey, you know, we love working with the Alliance Group because not only they're representing our interests, but they're willing to push back if something doesn't feel right to the sure. zoo guest or the zoo experience. And, and we're very, you know, in the very early stages of the conversation, we talk to the brands and say, look, it should always be about the audience first. Because I think brands get away from themselves. They think it's about brand first, whether you're a brand marketer or whether you're a venue or rights holder, or, hey, we're the team and we're more important because we're putting the product on the field. Well, at the end of the day, we're all serving a certain stakeholder or audience. So for us, we try to advise the, you know, our brand clients, it's the family first, it's the parents and these kids. Those, that is the most important. Let's hold that and prioritize that to, to the highest degree and everything will fall into place from there. Yeah. And, and, and the zoos appreciate that because that's their audience. That's, you know, and, and ultimately, you know, our brand clients, again, whether it's General Mills and Swedish Fish and Nature Valley or, or Nutella, you know, or Lysol wipes recently, it, it's about, they win in those scenarios. So, so when we work with zoos, we've established a credibility and trust to this point. And, you know, we have a lot of systems in place, you know, and, and part of the unique challenge, but a very intentional challenge for us is working with the brands to create a program, ideas, concepts, thoughts, like a breakfast with the animals or other things but then having enough flex within the program that it can be adapted to each local market. So we often talk about national scale, you know, you're talking about potential 40, 50 plus markets, but with local activation. Yeah. So to be able to take one program like a breakfast with the animals, but it might look a little bit differently each zoo or aquarium, but that's empowering the zoos and aquariums. So we, we really go out of our way to make sure that we're, we're giving that flex so they're, they're, they feel empowered because at that, during those moments, they're much more likely to put the entire weight of their assets behind it to promote the event or the partnership, whether socially, digital, or e-newsletters, or whatever the asset class is in, in those scenarios. Um, and I think it's, it's worked really well. It's, it's an incredible amount of work, but, but at the end of the day, we're very specialized. And it's so interesting because I think we've recently become the oxymoron of the marketing an ad agency space, we're very niche, but with reach of 200 million. So it's kind of like jumbo shrimp. Sure. Like we're very niche, which implies very small and narrow, yeah. but with such huge scale. So yeah. And and how are you doing your prospecting on getting, you know, the, the Nutellas of the world and the, in the nature valleys and, and, and bringing them in, in on this and saying, Oh, here's a, here's an agency that'll help me get into aquariums and zoos what, what are you doing for, for yeah it's, it's it's leveraging yeah it's a good question it's leveraging a lot of relationships from prior roles sure. you know but the truth is i think a lot of times when people transition they overstate their rolodex so to speak so sure. it's not always you know transitioning from roma days or the campus entertainment fluent days you know a lot of it you know some of it's cold outreach i think there's much less of it now in the first 18 months two years it was you know much more outreach on our part um, to which we were met with, oh, I never thought of using aquariums before. Now, recently, we've been, um, it's been very encouraged. We're starting to get folks, you know, a lot more inbound as, as we've come the established lead in this space. And, you know, we've started to shift away from zoos and aquariums, zoos and aquariums to more so parents with kids, parents with kids. I mean, that's where, yeah. you know, the value truly lies to help. To help. Um, some of its conferences, you know, speaking engagements, um, you know, I think doing podcasts like this in some ways, I think different folks might see and hear a lot of referrals. We, we've had a lot of organic growth and more than anything else, that may be the biggest source of pride for us 
you know, when we started with Swedish Fish as an example, you know, we ran a program at seven aquariums in year one. Because of the successes, they doubled to 14 aquariums in year two. They went to 20 markets, 20 aquariums in year three. They pulled along their sister brand, Teddy Grams, out of the Mondelez portfolio, yeah. also yeah. in year three and year four, and went to 25 markets. You know, Nature Valley out of General Mills, you know, scaled 5X from, you know, their first year to their second year. Um, even now, you know, a lot of referrals, um, even within Ferrero. So with the success of Nutella, they said, hey, Kinder Joy is a really interesting partnership. And, and what they're doing is in around childhood joy and reaching parents with kids, you should talk to them. So we're on, launching a program next year in 30 markets with Kinder Joy. So I think that more than anything else, Jason, speaks to, you know, the value of this, or, or I should say validates, you know, this, this, not this market, but maybe the work. And there's a lot of folks um, that can be credited with the work, um, both on the brand side, but the zoo and aquarium side as, as well. Yeah. How did, how did how did the zoos and aquariums kind of and and even the alliance group as well you guys navigate through the pandemic over the past 18 months yeah like everyone else at first it was kind of like holy shit, what do we do now we, yeah. we don't where do we go what do we do i think there was a paralysis on all sides of business in every industry um what was really interesting so you're talking about march you know 2020 and then april may by june I think most people went to work and said, all right, well, what's next? Where do I pivot? Where do I not pivot? Do I overcompensate? What do I do next? We made the, the conscious decision to stay the course. Now, we, we made some you know, decisions to launch the Alliance Digital Network where we could focus on digital assets only. A lot of zoos and aquariums did a really nice job with content and creating a zoo to you or home safaris or Facebook live events to stay engaged with the audiences. Yeah. But by September, by August, September, a lot of zoos were actually setting attendance records. Because if you think about it, even you're only, you know, a few months from the initial lockdown everywhere. Once things start to loosen up, if you think about zoos, they're naturally designed for social distancing. You're talking about hundreds of acres. It's all open air. It's all outdoor. Um, now, there was time ticketing. There were some strategic operational things that they did to make sure that they're, you know, abiding by any kind of state health laws. But in a lot of ways, it, for us, it was raising our hand saying, hey, you know, working with our existing partners, but new partners to say, hey, you know, here's the space. And part of the reason, maybe more so than anything else, it was pent up demand. There's no place else to go to take yeah, your family. Sports, Here it is. Yeah, a lot of the sports stadiums were, were still locked down and the, the zoos and the aquariums and a lot of those outdoor facilities, they were opening starting to open back up and but let's be let's be honest a lot of people were itching to get back out and do things with to your point families right and and be, and be together and um 100 so and, and, and i think that was definitely a benefit for the zoos 100 it, it it worked really well um on the zoo's behalf again many set attendance records um i happen to be on the board of directors here at zoo new england the two zoos and we just celebrated you know, a huge milestone, you know, historical milestone reaching 1 million visitors, which is on the, you know, smaller side, but, you know, continuing to grow when it comes to zoos, um, you know, average attendance being about 1.25 million, you know, across the top 50 zoos. But, you know, it was really interesting because initially not everyone was comfortable hearing that. I had a couple brands say, well, we don't want to encourage or promote people going to the zoo, to which we replied, well, to make a really important distinction, say, well, we're not recommending you promote. We don't need the promotion. People are already gathering there. It's showing up there 
where the people are in a healthy environment. And we understood it, but several brands, you know, Quaker's a good example. You know, they became really excited very quickly and said, yeah, let's, let's go, let's run a program, um, you know, an integrated program and, and uh, engage with these families, you know, because that's where they're going. That's where they feel safe. And, um, you know, and I think, I think they're poised, if, if nothing else, I think it was a good learning experience because it happened once, who knows what's going to continue to happen. Um, they were the first to recover and they will continue, you know, they'll continue to be. I think we're being promised a lot by leadership and, and some politicians that there won't be any more lockdowns. And yeah. Hopefully that continues to be the case, but yeah, I, so. um, I think it shined an, it shined a light, uh, it shined an important light on, on this space. And yeah. Um, well, I'm glad they've, they've been able to recover and, and thriving greater than they, than they ever have now today. This has been an, an amazing and unique conversation about sponsorships. Cause a lot of time when you talk sponsorship, we're talking sports and entertainment and, and some of these, and, and, and this is also entertainment, right? But it's also a pretty, pretty unique sponsorship discussion around zoos and aquariums. So I, I, hopefully people now know, you know, they, they can learn about, you know, the Alliance group and what you do and have some takeaways on how they can be a little bit more creative with, with, with their properties. But I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jason. I enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. And I have a couple of questions I'd like to ask my guests when they come on, but what makes you, you know, wake up in the morning and, and do what you do? Yeah. I, I think it comes back to some of the points you made earlier, but it's family first. I think for me personally, you know, I think we're all, you know, to a degree, you know, here to support our, you know, do what we can work hard to support our own families, but I'm in such a unique and I'm, I feel blessed and, and I feel um, it, it's, it, without question, when I wake up in the morning, it's about my own family, but it's about, I'm representing families too, to some degree, you know, and that awe, that wonder, that joy, I'm just, I'm amazed and I'm in awe myself when I see my own children, especially my one-year-old and the pace at which they learn. And, and it's just, I think if the world were, were run by children, it'd probably be a better place. The innocence, the purity that they have. Yeah. And for me, in my my lane that I'm in, whether on the personal side, it really is that family first and those kids and where can we add value, you know, and, and, and are we supporting zoos? Are we improving that experience by providing funding and bringing in new things? So yeah, without question for me, it's, it's kind of, it's family first all the way through from beginning to end. And what, what does the future look like for Alliance? Yeah, I think we're still in the really early innings. I, I think the more, this space and this market and, and parents and kids become, you know, recognized and validated from brand marketers as, as one of the most efficient places to reach, you know, parents and kids when they're together. I think it's going to unlock a lot of new categories. Um, admittedly, we've, we, a lot of our work's been with CPG. Um, when you think about the General Mills and the Mondelez and, and Ferreros, we're in a lot of really interesting discussions in other industries, other categories. You talk about streaming, you talk about retail, yeah. think about insurance. Um, but I think not only the new categories, I think the more the space is validated, I think there's new asset classes and other partnerships in and around the space that we can layer in. Um, so I think I think there's a tremendous amount of growth, both horizontally and, and vertically. I think you know potentially deepening the relationships within individual markets and zoos, but also scaling to you know 40 50 60 plus zoos within a program so i think you know maybe first end of first inning second inning uh but definitely early innings and, and a lot of growth potential for, for sure that's awesome thanks again for coming on the podcast today mark giovino founder and ceo of the alliance group thanks mark thanks jason 
Thanks for listening to today's episode. Make sure to follow us at Sponsor Talk on Twitter and at the Sponsorship Space on LinkedIn and join our community if you're interested in learning more. Thanks and have a great day.